Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's a Monday morning edition of the program, but today I am here with Father Jeff Lewis and he alone. Hello, Father Lewis. Hello. Thank you. Father Lewis, it's great to have you on board today. Today we're going to do something that we've traditionally done through the years around the Feast of the Assumption, the Solemnity, and that is we cover the gift of Mary as it was treated in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So, Father, you're up to bat today. All right. We're going to go through a lot of great stuff that I think will be a great encouragement for you as you live out your life of faith. We'll be back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. We're going to get started with a scripture reading and a prayer, Father Lewis. Our scripture reading for our program today comes from Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat, the great song of Mary after she is greeted by her cousin Elizabeth. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on will all ages call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown the might of his with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Good and gracious God, through the intercession of Mary Most Holy, we ask your blessings upon us as we engage in our conversation about this great gift to us and to your church, Mary Most Holy. We ask this in all your blessings through Christ your Son. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Lewis. Uh, it's great to have you here. So, Thank you. Uh, I really enjoy programs where we have the opportunity to take a look at the catechism of the Catholic Church and allow it to teach us, allow it to catechize, right? Catechize comes from a Greek word that means to make disciples, right? It's, it's about forming us as disciples, and part of that is forming our minds. And so we, we won't be fully engaged as disciples unless we know our faith. And so today we have an outline pulled together on the on the Blessed Mother, on Mary in the Catechism. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, there is a, um, uh, it's sort of a custom now, it's become that around August 15th, that great solemnity of the Assumption of our Blessed Mother, we pull out that outline and we have a chance to go through it because even though you go through it, you go through it every year and you're a different person who's going through the same text and so different things come out of that is that something you've experienced i have in fact i was just talking with somebody today you know for example the church in her wisdom gives us a three-year sunday lectionary and people on the you know initially might be like well, wh why this you know we, we we heard this reading three years ago well that's true the reading was the same as three years ago but you're not the same person as you were three years ago and so there's there's new gifts uh, god wants to give to us in that so i very much agree with that yeah and the catechism i know that 
um, one of the things that um, I really uh, encourage folks that are listening to do is not to settle for, and, I, and I've often said this to teachers of the faith, don't just settle for proof texting. Like, oh, what am I doing? I'm giving a teaching on intercessory prayer. So let me look up the index and let me do a Google search on where does intercessory prayer show up? And then I just find one little quote and I cut and paste it. And so to be able to go beyond that, to go deeper than that is also part of our hope here. So um, we're going to be doing this in a thematic way. And so we're going to just start diving right on in, and um, we're going to allow the catechism to teach us. Father, I'm going to read the text and then give you a chance to reflect on it. We'll have a discussion and then move on to the next one. Yeah, You, you recognize that pattern, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yep. familiar by now. Yep. <laughs> okay, so the introduction comes from paragraph 487 in the catechism, and it says, what the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ. And what it teaches about Mary illumines, in turn, its faith in Christ. You know, um, you can almost, anything that the church believes really about about any aspect of our faith, you can almost substitute the word Mary and, and, and replace with that something else, because everything has got to be with Christ in view and Christ as our aim and end. You know, um, what what the Catholic faith believes about the church, what the Catholic faith believes about the Eucharist, all of that is going to be based on what the church believes about Christ and in relation to Christ. And in this context with Mary, you know, I, what I was thinking of right away is, so we declare Mary to be mother of God. In fact, an entire church council early on had to be convened in order to, to establish that and reaffirm that. And why, why was that a big deal? Because it's, it's, a, it's actually an affirmation of who we believe Christ to be. Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity, and Christ was born of Mary. So, yes, Mary is mother of God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And so we say that about Mary, but really it's through that what we're saying about Christ as well. And what I like about this is that the church is saying, um, don't pause at Mary, right? Or if you pause, don't stop. Yeah. Maybe that's a better phrase. Don't stop at the Blessed Mother. Right, and when you, in fact you refer to her as the Blessed Mother, mm-hmm. you immediately imply something. Yeah. There's a child involved here, mm-hmm. right? There's there's a child, and so you don't stop at the mother; you move all the way to the son. Right. And so, uh, this I think is a is a great sort of launching point for us to say, even though we're going to be talking about the Blessed Mother, and there are lots of folks who, listening, maybe struggle to say, what's the place of Mary in my own life of faith? What's the place of Mary in our Catholic faith? Because there can be a kind of devotionalism that seems to, from the outside, put an overemphasis on the place of Mary, mm-hmm. the place of Mary of Nazareth, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think that this is a wonderful, if you will, contextualizer, right? That mm-hmm. it, it helps with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Father, uh, Father, we're going to dive into point number one, Mary and the Trinitarian plan of salvation. Now, we're getting pretty theological right out of the gate here. Man alive. I need a break. (laughs) (laughs) No break yet, Father. Remember, you you can't hide behind Father Nagel and Father Northrop. You're all by yourself here. All right. So Mary and the Trinitarian plan of salvation. Um, We're going to talk about Mary's predestination by the Father, Mary and the Spirit, and Mary and the Son. So we'll start with some paragraphs uh, about Mary her predestination by the Father. This is paragraph 488 and then 423. From all eternity, God chose for the mother of his son 
a daughter of Israel, a young Jewish woman of Nazareth in Galilee, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The Annunciation of Mary inaugurates the fullness of time, the time of the fulfillment of God's promises and preparations. Mm-hmm. You know, a, uh, I kind of wish Father Nagel were here, being the historian, he would he would definitely uh, speak to this point, I think. So I'm going to attempt to step in his shoes and speak about point of history. But if if one were to look at the the just the history of the world going on in the time of Christ and the years leading up to it, we can we can definitely see like certain things happened to, had to happen in place and in order and and just be set up just so and and then the stage is set and then Mary is there and then the Annunciation, you know for example, you know I, I gave, so a couple of years ago um, it happened that Good Friday fell on March twenty fifth. And I looked it up. The next time that phenomenon happens is not to like the year 2200 or something. And it's for a couple centuries. And so I thought, this is pretty significant. The day that Christ entered the world in his mother's womb, falling on the same day that we're celebrating his death. Like that spoke to me in a huge way. And so I, I preached a sermon for Good Friday on on what all that kind of implies. And and we gave a crash course history of what was going on. And you had Israel, and then they're happy, but then they're conquered you know, they're torn apart, then the north is conquered by the Assyrians, the Babylonians come in, and then the, the Greeks come in, then the Persians come in, and the Romans come in. You have all these things going back and forth, and now finally Rome's in place, but Greek is the common language, and Greek is a much larger language, uh, vocabulary speaking, than Israel. So they, they have a language now to talk about Mary as virgin. Hebrew doesn't have a word for virgin, just kind of a young, unmarried woman. So now there's a common language in place to describe these these mysteries of our faith, and it's the Pax Romana because August, uh, Caesar Augustus is in charge, and the stage is set, and now Christ can come in, and you can see that in history, the 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 kind of the 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 setting of the stage of the Father to to have all of this just come to a fr- come to a head, and now everything is ready. It's really stunning, right, to to say that that. You're saying God the Father, right, created this whole universe. And oh, by the way, uh, you might be aware of this, that the tradition is that on what day of the year is was the act of creation? It wasn't January 1st. It was March 25th. March 25th. Right. Okay. Now, you maybe know this, Lord of the Rings. What was March 25th? It was when the ring was destroyed. The ring was destroyed, right? <laughs> Look was, at me nerding out on Lord this of the Rings. This is awesome. I love this. You're getting all these. He, we don't need Father Nagel. <laughs> we got you, Father Lewis, with Lord of the Rings. I just think that's so cool that, yeah. you know, Tolkien didn't do this by accident. Right. Right. It was the end of the third age, right? Mm-hmm. It was the beginning of this new age. It was, a, it was like a new creation um, with that just evil destroyed. But uh, to think that, God in his plans and preparations in in his entire like setup for the whole world it also involved our part in it right all these plans and preparations all of these things it says from all eternity God chose for mother of his son i around our house one of the things that i'll tease my kids and i said where did you come from <laughs> and little liliana who just turned 8 will say i came from heaven and so, you know, in their own childish way, there's this like unreflected idea that, oh, I was in heaven and then I came down here to earth and then when I die, I'm going to go back to heaven. 
I don't say to them, you existed as an idea in the mind of God from all eternity, right? It's too much for them to kind of grasp. <laughs> but there's a there's that element of truth, meaning you were designed, you had a purpose, mm-hmm. you were deployed, you know, you were sent into this moment. And 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 I love how the Blessed Mother is going to provide for us like all the things that we can reflect on on Mary have some analog to our lives. So it's a beautiful thing I think we'll see unfold as well as we're talking. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Mary and the Spirit. And we're going to look at paragraph 721 and 723. For the first time in the plan of salvation, and because his Spirit had prepared her, the Father found the dwelling place where his Son and his Spirit could dwell among men. In Mary, the Holy Spirit fulfills the plan of the Father's loving goodness. Mm -hmm. This made me think, for some reason, I don't know if it's directly connected, but um, St. Augustine had famously said, Mary had conceived in her heart before she conceived in her womb. And, um, you know, and and being told of the... um, of what's going to happen in her and through her, the, this great miracle, the incarnation, you know, the angel told her that the Holy Spirit will descend upon you. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit, even in that moment, was already descending upon her that she can have her question of how can this be kind of answered in a way that she could, that she could understand and, you know, in some measure. And then, and then freely with that, with that knowledge, be able to give her free consent because now it's an informed consent to God's plan. And already the Holy Spirit was working on her and in her and through her. And then, you know, and then the incarnation happened when she gave her free consent. And, you know, now we call her the spouse of the Holy Spirit is one of the ways we can reference her because, because of that descent of the Holy Spirit upon her in that moment. Well, and I love this because it's um, in Mary, the Holy Spirit fulfills the f- the plan of the Father's loving goodness. Well, we could say in Father Lewis, the Holy Spirit fulfills in his own way mm-hmm. the plan of the Father's loving goodness. That um, I want to be found as a dwelling place where the Spirit can come and move, right? right. So it's that... Uh, it's that beautiful way that the Holy Spirit wants to uh, do that kind of work in us that he did in Mary, but at our own level, in our own way. In our own respective vocations, right? Yes. Yeah. Amen. All right, let's take a look at Mary and the Son. Uh, this is paragraphs 964 and 973. Again, I'm quoting from the Catechism of the Catholic Church here as we take a look at the place of the Blessed Mother in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Mary's role in the Church is inseparable from her union with Christ— and flows directly from it. By pronouncing her fiat at the Annunciation and giving her consent to the Incarnation, Mary was already collaborating with the whole work her son was to accomplish. And so she, you know, she is given the title uh, co-redemptrix and co-mediatrix, and and that can grind people in a in an in a in an, uh, in an unfamiliar, uncomfortable way, like, well, no, wait a minute, Christ is my redeemer. How can she be co-redeemer? Well, it's it's by her saying yes to God's plan that allowed Jesus then to, you know, that plan to come to reference for Jesus to come to the world that, that he in his turn could say yes to God's plan. So she had to say yes first, just in chronological order. That's how that's how birth works. That's how anatomy works. And the mother needs to say yes, and then the son can be born. And, um, you know, there's nothing here. You know, it's interesting. The last paragraph there, that last uh, 973, by pronouncing her fiat and giving her consent to the incarnation, 
I was thinking about this, even referencing back to the predestination by the Father. From all eternity, God chose all of this to happen, chose her. And yet, everything, it took thousands of years for everything to lead to this moment. And yet, still, she needed to give her consent. He was not going to dehumanize her to make his plan come about and take away her humanity by forcing this upon her and removing her free will. So I shudder at the thought, what if she said no? Now we're now we're back to default, ground zero. We got to start all over. It's going to be another thousands of years before the ground is set again. You know. <laughs> well, it's a it is a very mysterious thing, and um, the the degree the the weightiness of her yes of her assent. We're going to talk about in the next section under Mary's yes. But I want to um, go to the next um, one because the this next paragraph, paragraph seven twenty four. There's a really really cool image here. It says this. In Mary, the Holy Spirit manifests the Son of the Father, now become the Son of the Virgin. She is the burning bush of the definitive theophany. Filled with the Holy Spirit, she makes the word visible in the humility of his flesh. Yeah. Well, that reference to the burning bush, you know, is an allusion to the burning bush uh, that Moses encountered and wherein Moses encountered God. God's presence in our world in a burning bush that was not consumed. I think the idea is that she is the burning, she is filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit and God is present there, but she is not consumed. Her, you know, I think they make a, a connection, they being theologians and such, make a connection with her perpetual virginity, that she is a burning bush that has produced life, but has not lost the glory of her virginity. And, um, and so through that great mystery, God's presence is made, uh, made manifest among us. Amen. That's really beautiful. I think of um, that, just that phrase, she is the burning bush of the definitive theophany. Who wrote that? I mean, that is really, that's a really cool phrase right be there. Cardinal Ratzinger, I bet. I know, really. <laughs> and, and I take from it like the definitive theophany, right? So the burning bush of the uh, a theophany means a manifestation of God, right? And so you referred to the burning bush in, in Moses, but the definitive manifestation of God is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so the burning bush of that definitive theophany is the Blessed Mother. So I like to say, okay, if Mary is the burning bush of the definitive theophany, can we be a burning bush? of the definitive theophany? Can we share in? Like, I love to, I actually love to pray that. Mm-hmm. I actually pray, Lord, make me a burning bush of your definitive theophany. And what I'm what I'm really saying is, Jesus, I want you to shine. I want your glory, the sh- kind of glory of God to shine through my life mm-hmm. as I burn with your spirit. Cleanse me, purify me, shine forth through me. Um, you know, to pray that I, that imagery is so helpful to me. Yeah, well, that'd be a, that'd be that's great. You know, that'd be great for me to pray with as well. Not just me, but I think you know, priests in a particular way. You know, we are privileged by the virtue of our vocation to be a burning bush of this sense for the of the definitive theophany, because Mary brought Jesus substantially into this world. Well, so do priests with the Eucharist, body and blood, soul and divinity, and. And there's a Marian aspect to our priesthood, therefore, that we can, we too bring Jesus 
into this world. Amen. So there's a beautiful prayer intention, folks. Pray for your priest to become a burning bush of the definitive theophany. Just don't tell them that we said that, okay? <laughs> uh, tell, actually, just tell them Father Lewis said that, okay? <laughs> Father Lewis told me to tell you that I'm supposed to pray for you to become a burning bush of the definitive theophany. And they're going to say, I thought he was Catholic. You know, <laughs> What does that mean? It's a it's a beautiful phrase. It's it's very evocative. And again, I, I have found that to be in my own personal prayer life to be a very powerful way of praying, yeah. you know, praying. So, all right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to continue reflecting on this gift of um, of the Blessed Mother Mary in uh, the New Testament. We'll be back in the, in, the, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Back in a moment. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. DrTomCurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, and today we're talking about uh, Mary and the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And we're now to Mary's yes. We're just talking a bit about that, Father. And it's really profound the way the catechism unfolds this and and links Mary's yes to um, different moments in her life, her annunciation, which is the one most of us think of, but also her passion. And that that has gotten some attention as well. But then there is almost uh, one of my favorite passages in the whole catechism is how Mary's yes is connected to the salvation of all. And it is really an incredible sent uh, ca- couple of pa- passages that are in here. So, but let's start with Mary's ascent in the Annunciation, uh, and it goes this: Mary was invited to conceive Him in whom the whole fullness of deity would dwell bodily. The Father of Mercies willed that the incarnation should be preceded by ascent on the part of the predestined Mother, so that just as a woman had shared in the coming of death so also should a woman contribute to the coming of life. Mm-hmm. That, um, that that came from paragraphs 484 and 48, and the second half of that is from 48. The Father of Mercies willed that the incarnation should be preceded by assent on the part of the predestined mother. That's, uh, that's interesting that we've got you know, this illusion of predestination, but also like assent, as in free will. How can the two jive? We kind of talked about that already in the beginning. The Father willed this to be, but meaning that okay, I've I've made my plans, but the actor needs to to come, you know, and 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 fill in the role, and so everything still hinged on that ascent. And it's interesting, you know. Yes, God is all powerful, and God is Almighty, and God uh, condescended to give us the free will, all of us the free will to say yes or no to that plan, to say no. Um, doesn't necessarily mean sin. Like if I know that I'm called to the priesthood, but I'm still gonna get married. I mean, there's there's maybe some sin there insofar as I've violated. But there's no just because I got married. Like that's not that's not grounds. That's not grave matter. That's a good and holy thing to be married. So there you go, Tom. <laughs> but anyway, you know, but but to know God's will and to still say no to that. That's quite that's there's quite a bit of gravity there and quite quite serious to do that. 
but nonetheless, so you know, God wills for this to happen, and it's made known to Mary, and and yet still going to wait and for her to say yes, and it hinges on that. Well, and you know, one of the things that I've heard said, and you can comment on it. Uh, and I, I really like it, so that they're just warning you in advance. So don't not like it, okay, right. Father? Okay. <laughs> but you have the freedom not to like it, okay? But I'm just preparing yeah, you, you, preparing the way. to like it. <laughs> there it is, is that um, saying yes to God is not the same as saying no to God. Because when we say yes to God, so we think of like freedom before God and willing. When you will a yes to God and to God's will— you're fulfilling all that you were made for. There's a an urge and a flow and a movement that is all about life and light and freedom and joy and fulfillment and and growth. But to say no to that for which we were made, you know, the more serious, the more profound the um, the disruption is in the no, whether it's no, you know, no to a commandment like you know mortal sin or no to your vocation. Um, it's it's not like they're two like equal choices like hey there are two roads in front of us which one should we go down and a and b are the same right, right? like one is the downhill woohoo and the other one is here's a big fence and a wall in the way and you've got to climb over the wall and over the brambles and thorns and in order to to get to know mm-hmm. it's just not the same right well, if we, you know, where's the key to our to our happiness, really? You know, we're taught this as we're discerning our vocations is to discern God's will and go with it, you know. there And, and then it's not without its challenges, but it's definitely with its graces and with its joys. Um, so, yeah, I, I do agree with that statement. Yes, well. That was close. <laughs> that was close. Well, and, and, and I, I bring that out, like, when it comes to people um, saying salvation, right? Are you uh, heaven and hell? Right, saying yes to God to heaven is not the same as saying no to God hell, because you were made to say yes. Mm-hmm. So you're going against everything that you were made for when you say no to God. So that's why the Catechism makes a distinction between heaven as a reality, but hell as a real possibility. Yeah. That they're not the same kind or level of choices because they're different in terms of how they relate to how we were made. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so and so I when I think about that with regards to the Blessed Mother, she was prepared for, disposed, she was formed, she was shaped. All of her life was get ready, the moment's coming, get ready, the moment. This is what you were made for. Mm-hmm. So yes, it wasn't a guarantee on the one hand. It wasn't forced, it wasn't constrained, and yet the freedom she had to say yes was actually greater than the act of saying no. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, she, she in a sense have to really like, like defy her her nature as she's been formed to say no, which would be a great deal of effort on her part. That'd be not not without its its sorrows, of course, in any event. But I, yeah, I see what you're saying. When I talk about that all the time with my kids, like I say, look, there's a difference between falling into sin and jumping into sin, mm-hmm. right? You can fall out of weakness, you jump out of willfulness, and mm-hmm. so that, like so I think sometimes my kids are afraid that they're going to fall into mortal sin. Now you can fall into a gravely bad deed. But that doesn't mean you've committed a mortal sin because you've fallen out of weakness, not out of a willful fist in the sky. I, I reject and, and I renounce you, God, and and choose 
against the pressure of grace, against the opportunity to get out, right? Yeah. yeah. So this uh, concept of reflecting on Mary's yes is really fundamentally important for our own lives of faith. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mary's ascent in the Passion is paragraph 964. This union of the mother with the son in the work of salvation is made manifest from the time of Christ's virginal conception up to his death. It is made manifest above all at the hour of his passion. Thus the Blessed Virgin advanced in her pilgrimage of faith and faithfully persevered in her union with her son unto the cross. There she stood in keeping with the divine plan, enduring with her only begotten son the intensity of his suffering, joining herself with his sacrifice in her mother's heart, and lovingly consenting to the immolation of this victim born of her. Mm -hmm. um, Isn't that beautiful? It's Yeah, it's remarkable. And um, it was calling to mind, conjuring to mind for me, you know, scenes uh, from the film, The Passion of the Christ. And, um, you know, the portrayal of Mary in that film, I think, was even it's in, in in many ways even better than the portrayal of Jim Caviezel as Jesus, and uh, I can't even think of the actress's name, some Italian actress, I think, but but just portrayed her to perfection, I thought. But uh, but anyway, you know, Mary didn't die on the cross, but nonetheless uh, suffered that extreme agony and is the queen of martyrs, I think, because of that suffering. But what really came to mind as I was reading in preparation for this was there's a great book, um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen's uh, Life of Christ. I think it's like in written form, the talks that he gave of that series. And and one of them actually that really stands out to me still is, is uh, and it just goes through the major events in the life of Christ from start to finish. And he gets into the talk about um, the wedding feast at Cana. And, and he has this great like four-page reflection on Jesus saying, woman, what concern does this have to do with you and me? My hour has not yet come. And then he goes from there and, and he kind of unfolds like, what is Jesus really saying there? Do you know what you're asking me to do? You're basically asking me to begin now uh, in, in a sequence of events that's going to lead to the cross. And are you ready, mother? Because it's not going to stop. And I'm ready but you need to be ready too. So are you ready to suffer with me? And so, you know, this is an ascent to the passion that all of us are invited to, to every time there's an instance of suffering in our lives, am I going to say yes to this and thereby offer that suffering or align it in some way with the sufferings of Christ on the cross and therefore let that suffering be redeemed and salvific for myself or others? Or am I just going to grouse about it and complain? I typically do B, but I wish I did more of A. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, it like the, like a, a light bulb went on when you shared that about Archbishop Sheen's reflection, because uh, like the literal Greek is, "What is this to you and to me?" Mm -hmm. And I never heard it explained. Like, do you know what this actually is for us, for you and for me? Do you know what this actually means for us? that you've now done this and now you're saying, you know, do whatever he tells you. We're now entering, we're, at, we're game on, yep. game yep. on. Um, but that actually makes me think of why I agree with you about the uh, passion of the Christ. And I love the place of the blessed mother and what's okay. This is now you're guessing now what's your favorite, favorite, favorite scene that says, what you're talking about, where the Blessed Mother and how she's portrayed is particularly powerful or meaningful. Is there is there a moment in the film where that is especially the case? Because there is for me. Mm -hmm. um, well, um, 
I can think of two if I may cheat. Ooh. One of one of them is um, the deposition. She comes down and everyone else is wailing, but she's got this very stoic, like, okay, on a human level, this was horrifying and grievous, but she of all those people knows what this means. And and she portrayed that like... like just What's stoic. the deposition, Father? Uh, so, most okay. people don't know what that is. <laughs> so Jesus dies on the cross, and now he's taken down and laid in his arms. And it's a reenactment of the Pieta, I think, mm-hmm. in that movie. But the other one is when she's, uh, after the scourging, she's cleaning up his blood, mm-hmm. and she presses her ear to the floor because he's in the prison underneath. I think that was actually that two was different before, scenes. Right. That was before. Yeah, no, you before chose three scenes. Come on, Father. Oh, well, just, it's Trinitarian. It's yeah, Trinitarian. <laughs> but you still didn't pick my favorite. Oh, no. So my favorite is at the beginning of the carrying of the cross, where he comes out carrying his cross, and you see the Blessed Mother on one side of the crowd and the devil on the other. Oh, yeah. And the devil's invisible to everybody, but they're looking at each other. She's just looking at him, and he's looking at her, and, he, and he's carrying this like ugly demon baby. And, and it's just this like determination that said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm going with my son. I, I'm in. And just this sense of saying, yeah, that's, that's what I want. I, I'm just, and come on, devil, bring it on, right? Yeah. So powerful. All right, Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to continue to reflect on uh, Mary in the Catechism. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. And during the break, Father did confess that I was right <laughs> regarding the, the particular moment in the Passion of the Christ. Well, we're up against the break, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to continue on to one of my favorite passages in the whole catechism. It's paragraph 511 and then 494. So these two paragraphs here bring about this link between Mary's ascent and the salvation of all people. 5.11 says, The Virgin Mary cooperated through free faith and obedience in human salvation. She uttered her yes in the name of all human nature. And then 4.94, as St. Irenaeus says, Being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. Mm-hmm. There's many reasons why, of course, we can say this, but what came to mind immediately for me is that, you know, the church will teach, and in fact, I think it's later on our discussion here, Mary as the new Eve. So relating back to what was it that Eve had done, the mother of all the living, you know, chose to uh, to disobey God's will and eat the forbidden fruit, and therefore sin and death and all that entered into our world. And so, you know, one of the saints, um, I can't remember which one now, but 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 comments that you know she's called mother of the living but really she's the mother of all the dead because because of that we're all dead in our sin and only Christ can redeem us uh with his grace and bring us to that life again so if the old eve spoke for all of us and in the name of all human nature chose to sin then you know it's perfectly fitting that the new eve in the name of all human nature would say yes not to sin but to salvation and um and Eve's disobedience to God's will is corrected and and fixed and redeemed by Mary's perfect obedience to God's will. And so, again, speaks for the whole human race as Eve had done, the old Eve. Well, and you look at the phrase. This is one of those phrases where it's way easier to misunderstand it than it is to understand it. And if you only, like, carved out a handful of words— you're most likely, especially if you're not Catholic, you're going to misunderstand it. And if you're Catholic, you still might not get it right. And it's this. Mary 
being obedient, she became the cause of salvation, the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. So who caused the salvation of the whole human race? Right. This is saying Mary did. uh, Yeah. Well, we probably need to understand that, uh, you know, Aristotle, Aristotle, I'll just say it, his philosophy, he identifies four causes in anything. Uh, Let me think if I can think of them all now. There's efficient cause, material cause, final cause, and... Formal cause. Formal cause. Thank you. I knew I was missing one. (laughs) And so um, she is, um, at the very least, we could say she's the material cause of salvation insofar as it was from her, of her, you know, she provided the human side because she's the human mother. There's no human father. So everything... Physically human and and materially human of Jesus of Jesus, which is all of them, comes from Mary. So she provided the the raw matter of that project. Yes. And so she, at the very least, we can say she's the material cause of salvation. That's good. So and just to think about this, it's um, this goes back or traces back to the yes when you talked about. Um, I, I think was it Saint Bernard of Clairvaux who said like all of heaven paused, yeah. and waited mm-hmm. for her response. And it's like you you were saying, well, what if Mary said no, right? That it's not forced. And yet at the same time, there's this disposal for it and all that. And yet like, what difference does it make? How important is it? How important is her yes when it comes to what flows from it? And it's like, well, it caused, it, it, was, it was the, through her obedience, it was the doorway was opened so that Jesus could come and bring about his saving work. And so I just like to say, dear listeners, do you realize that there's something at stake in your yes? Do you realize how much is at stake in your yes to God? How much, well, gifts and graces and saving power can become into your family, your family, which links to the other passage, which says that she says her yes in the name of all human nature. And for me, that I, I find that particularly meaningful when I think about how I've consecrated my life. Carrie and I have done this a number of times, do it all the time, to, to the Blessed Mother, that my yes can be embedded in, immersed in, can be um, shaped and molded by her yes, that she said her yes on my behalf, in my place, for my sake. Well, what does that mean for me? I can say yes on behalf of my kids, for the sake of my kids, Mm -hmm. and the place of my kids. You, Father, can say yes on behalf of your parish, right? And and when we start thinking about that, it's like, wow, the body of Christ, just how deeply intertwined we are. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the things that those are some of the reasons why I love th- those these particular passages. Yeah. All right, Father, we've gone through two points, and there's 19. Holy moly! Okay, so I'm going to give you a chance to pick the next one. Now the next one is the New Eve, and you mentioned the New Eve. So mm-hmm. I'm going to that's my little warm up for you that we'll go to the New Eve, and then we're going to let you guide where we go after, after that. that. Okay? okay, all right. So let me read the New Eve. This is. Um, paragraphs 511 and 494. By her obedience, Mary became the new Eve, mother of the living. Hence, not a, new, not a few of the early fathers gladly assert the not, K-N-O-T, the not of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. What the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. Comparing her with Eve, they call Mary 
the mother of the living, and frequently claim death through Eve, life through Mary. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think I think it seems to be a, a growing uh, devotion to Mary under the title, um, you know, the undoer of knots. You know, in fact, our school at St. Mary, there was a, an icon uh, commissioned uh, on the occasion of our previous principal's retirement, kind of in honor of her long-term service to St. Mary, and, and it depicts that. She's got an angel feeding her a line with knots in it, and she's untying them, and then the angel on the other side is taking the loose line and moving it along. And um, and so, you know, the whole idea of, of Eve having bound us up with her disobedience in the grand scheme of things, but we can trust that we can turn to Mary. What are the knots in my life? What can I just not seem to overcome or or get an answer to, or or fix on my own power, can we, you know, people quickly go... Are you hearing that, parents? <laughs> Are you hearing that, parents of teenagers? Are yeah. you hearing that? Go ahead. And people... Uh, or even marriages. Oh, just yeah. bound in knots, mm-hmm. right? Or about priests, too. Like, I can't seem to figure out why... Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Father. Yeah, priests struggle, too. At least <laughs> I do. Not Father Nagel. You know, no, those guys are perfect priests. But, you know, but I mean, you know... um, you know, we can turn to 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 Mary and and um and just you know ask her, can you can you just you know through your intercession, you know, we we have no problem turning to Saint Anthony to find our lost keys or Saint uh, Mother Cabrini to uh, find us a parking spot or whatever her devotion is, but but we can turn to Mary, you know, the the Queen of all saints, to with any of our issues and not just the the grand scale scheme of what's been tied up because of Eve's disobedience, but the individual struggles of our. Or of our subjective lives, you know, we turn to Mary, the undoer of knots. Do you know uh, which pope has been sort of big and and prominent in promoting Our Lady, uh, Mary, untire of knots? No, Pope Francis. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, one of the like first devotions that he sort of promoted was Mary, untire of knots. Okay. And I, I'm not aware of like Pope Benedict or. John Paul II, really referencing that devotion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but I love that devotion, especially when and I was in the midst of severe trials and family and relationships, because those are the things that seem to be so bound up. That's what you say. That's what people say. I'm so bound up by resentment, lack of forgiveness, and so many situations that don't seem to have like a quick e like if it was, oh, I need a bill paid, okay, I get some money, now my bill's paid. That's pretty direct line. Mm-hmm. It's not so intertwined and tangled up, and 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 some knots are really really tough. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a beautiful devotion. Okay, Father, are you ready? You go. I, that was me giving you a little more time. Yeah. To pick another paragraph. I'm ready. We'll go with the very next one. <laughs> Mary prepared for in the old covenant. Now that wasn't that wasn't a big challenge there, but I know you like this I, one. Yeah, so, I like this one. Okay, yeah. great. So this is paragraph four eighty nine. Throughout the Old Covenant, the mission of many holy women prepared for that of Mary. At the very beginning, there was Eve. Despite her disobedience, she receives the promise of a posterity that will be victorious over the evil one, as well as the promise that she will be the mother of all the living. By virtue of this promise, Sarah conceives a son in spite of her old age. Against all human expectation, God chooses those who are considered powerless and weak to show forth his faithfulness to his promises. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, Deborah, Ruth, Judith, and Esther, and many other women. Mary stands out among the poor and humble of the Lord, who confidently hope for and receive salvation from him. After a long period of waiting, the times uh, are fulfilled in her. 
the exalted daughter of Zion, and the new plan of salvation is established. That's a long section there, and therefore, you know, there are many reasons why I, I wanted to. And you, you know, got 30 seconds, Father. Oh, no, 30 seconds. All right. Holy cow. All right. But I, I was talking with, you know, talking before the program that one thing that could be added to the to the promises uh, foreshadowed in the Old Covenant and made in the Old Covenant is Mary, um, the, is the Ark of the Covenant itself. Before you were so rudely interrupted, Father, by that break, <laughs> uh, you were talking about Mary and, and using one of the Old Testament images of Mary, not only associating her with the holy, humble women, Eve and Sarah and on, but also looking at Mary as the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. And so you were referencing a, a passage. So yeah. please, Father, continue. So, you know, in Second Samuel chapter 6, this is King David, and they, they're ready to bring the Ark into Jerusalem. And um, just a couple of, of points here. So they're bringing the ark in, and and the ark starts to jostle, and someone tries to steady it, and he gets killed on the spot. And David was, um, let's see, uh, then David became frightened of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Well, there are, there are uh, parallels, I think deliberate parallels, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, but if you read then Mary's visitation to uh, her cousin Elizabeth in chapter, in, in, uh, chapter 2 of Luke, or no, end of chapter one of Luke, um, you've got um, Elizabeth saying, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And the idea that... that um, she in the hill country of in Judea. In the hill country of Judea, where the, and, and that's where the ark is and all this too. So there's these parallels. And then you can look ahead where else the last place in the whole Bible where the ark is mentioned is Revelation chapter 11. But... You know, the Bible is written before we broke up into chapters and verses. So if you go with that reference of the ark, the heavens are open and there's the ark. And then uh, and then you go right to the next verse and it's chapter 12. Uh, and so uh, of what we now call chapter 12 of, and where does it go? Right when it mentions the ark, it goes and it says, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. So the ark was revealed to John and then it starts describing this woman who is laboring uh, to d- give birth. And this is understood to be Mary. Our Lady Guadalupe is depicted in this fashion. And so there's this uh, Old Testament uh, prefigurement of Mary found not just in the humble women, but in the Ark itself. Yes, that's beautiful. And the Ark of the Covenant was the place of the special dwelling of the presence of God. So just for folks to be thinking about that. Uh, and I always like, if you draw out the references in the Old Testament and link them to the Blessed Mother in our life, there's the one of um, when they finally are going to cross the uh, the, um, the the Jordan River and enter Canaan and enter the Promised Land. Mm-hmm. Who goes first? The, the Ark. ark. Yeah. They first the Ark goes into the water. The water split, and they cross over, and then they send the the Ark out ahead. Do you know how far ahead they send the Ark? It's half a mile. Yeah. I mean, talk about being exposed, uh-huh. right? I'm not so sure I want to be like carrying the ark because you're enemy powerless. <laughs> you, you have you're in enemy territory, but it's like, do we actually send the Blessed Mother in it out in advance to fight the battle for us? Mm-hmm. I just I devotionally use that in my own life when I have battles to fight. I'm like, am I willing to take up a powerless place and carry the Blessed Mother out front into the battles that I face? And I, so I, I find that very meaningful, that, that Blessed Mother as the Ark of the Covenant in that spiritual warfare, spiritual battle aspect of things too. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. All right, Father, we have um, probably time for, um, well, one one or two more. So okay. where do you want to go next? Let's look at, you know, uh, you got a reference here, the redeemed conception. Let's take a look at point number six. Who came up with that really brilliant idea of Mary's conception so- as not just immaculate, but redeemed? Yeah, well, it's drawn from the catechism, paragraphs 491 and 492. Here, and 721, here's what it says. Mary is the masterwork of the mission of the Son and the Spirit and the fullness of time. Through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace, through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. By a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. The splendor of an entirely unique holiness by which Mary is enriched from the first instant of her conception comes wholly or entirely from Christ. She is redeemed in a more exalted fashion by reason of the merits of her son. Mary is the most excellent fruit of redemption. The Father blessed Mary more than any other created person. As you look through those passages, how frequently it's it strikes me anyway that you know, that where there's a constant going back to what's special about Mary is really because it was what Christ attained for her, and that goes back right to where we began. What the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ. So we can say all these things about Mary, the Immaculate Conception, the Redeemed Conception, really because it's the merits of her Son born you know, born from her, born of her, that uh, earned her this. And she gets, now, she gets to enjoy these these fruits, the fruits of his labors um, in a particular way, that but that doesn't exclude us, but precedes us, what we, God willing, will get to enjoy ourselves. And uh, we can say the same about the assumption. There's nothing wrong with the assumption. And I wish I would, you know, I could tell non-Catholics, you know, this all the time. Though The assumption is Mary, body, and soul in heaven. That's where we hope to be one day. So what's wrong with that? She's she's the first fruits of that, and um, and so anyway, you know, um, you know, just a constant reference to Christ. That it's what we say about Mary really is because what we can say about Christ, what we believe about Christ. And when I think about this, uh, I think about um, something that I heard, and I really like this this idea that um, we think of redemption from the experience that we all have, which is being rescued. Right, redemption in the form of I'm going to rescue you from drowning, right? But the other form that redemption takes is preserving you from ever falling into the drowning water, in the waters where you drown. And so God's mercy takes the form of rescue, but also in the form of pres- preservation. Mm-hmm. And in, our, in, in the case of every other human being that's ever lived, Jesus' redemption takes the form of rescue, but in the case of Mary, Jesus' redemption takes the form of preservation. Right. And it's still a form of redemption. Um, and I like that because one reason I like that is that it makes me think about the ways that the Lord's merciful work of redemption in my life isn't only rescuing me from horrible things that I've done or things that have happened to, to me or my family, but also the way that his work has preserved us from things that could have happened or things could have been so much worse had it not been 
for the Lord's mercy. Mm-hmm. And it that changes the perspective of things quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And not just changes our perspective of these things, but hopefully would inspire within us um, a, a greater, um, um, you know, a greater willingness to just express our gratitude for this. You know, Absolutely. We can, and we can recognize not only have I been rescued from this, but I've been actually preserved from that. Um, you know, either way, I mean, holy, you know, I, I, what I was thinking about my, one of my very last days when I was pastor up in Chuila, I was going back from Spokane to Chuila and we're coming to a pretty dangerous crossroads on the highway. And, and sure enough, someone was trying to cross the crossroads when it was just fixed with traffic. And there was like a, it was just really bad. The two trucks going to North and South ended up heading on, trying to dodge this car and the car got knocked besides. And, and that happened three cars ahead of me. I was thinking to myself, as it was happening, it looked like a Michael Bay film. Everything was like slow motion. People were walking away from the explosions in slow motion. Anyway, I was thinking to myself, man, if I were like three cars ahead, that could have been me. And so for whatever reason, I was preserved from that and, you know, thanked God for that. So we can find those instances of where we've been preserved and, and hopefully that inspires us to thank God and where we've been rescued. And again, to thank God for that. I, I have one of those stories. I was picking up my daughter from a dance, uh, a high school dance, and I was going down the road. It was a downhill, and the road started curving around to the left. And as I was going down the hill, there was a car speeding up the hill. It was like a like a like a like a power car, right? What do you call it? a muscle car? Uh-huh. And the guy was zooming up the hill, and he was zooming so fast that he floated entirely into my lane. And he was zooming super fast and I'm coming down right down my lane and we're about to have a head-on collision. But it happened to be at the very spot, the only spot where this road that was going down the hill had a like Y where you could actually go straight, like just kind of veer a little bit straight to the right and it led off into a right-hand turn. So I literally was able to just peel right off to the right and stay on a road and stop the car. Wow. Now, if it was like a half a second faster, I would have missed that turn. Mm-hmm. If it was a half a second later, I wouldn't have had access to that turn. And I would have had a head-on collision with a guy flying up a hill. Yeah. And it's like, what a mercy. Yeah. What a mercy. You know, it's those near misses that... How many moms will say, guardian angel, guardian angel? Uh We live our lives based on near misses, Uh and those near misses are preserving mercies of God. So when I think about tragedies that happen to other people, other families, I'm just like, Carrie, do you have any idea how many times we would have been one of those tragedy happened here families, but instead God's mercy preserved us? with these near misses. That's like St. Philip Neri said there, but for the grace of God go I, and we can say about just about any circumstance yes. when we witness that. You know? Amen. Yeah. Well, Father, that was a great conversation. I can't believe we, we only covered just a little bit, but boy, what a richness the catechism provides on the gift of the Blessed Mother in, in the catechism. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, come back tomorrow for more sound insight. Thanks, Father Lewis. Thank you. All right, God bless you all.